Enterprising in my surroundings I'm finding the quietest estates these days Just representation of storm brewing Amazed that the focus remains The vocal focal point of my change Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast I'm your host, Matt Chittam And this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there Who are working hard to get better While balancing running the rest of their lives Super pumped for today's episode with Emily Heller Yes, she is back on the show you may know her, you should know her from her YouTube channel, Run Like Heller. I love Emily and everything she's putting out there in the world for sure. She just documented not only running shoe reviews every single week, which if you listen to this show, you know I love these suckers. I watch them not only for information, but for entertainment. I love I love all shoe reviewers, and it's just so much fun. So uh, we certainly talked about shoes, but we also talked about the Chicago Marathon because she documented her journey to Chicago for months over there on YouTube, and I couldn't wait to talk to her about the race. She is just such an awesome person, and any chance that I get to interact with her makes it a great day for me. So let's get into it. But before you do, hey, head over to YouTube. Subscribe to our channel. You should. Because if you love running, you'll love Emily. So let's get into it with Emily Heller. All right, we are back with Emily Heller, back on the show. It's been almost a year since your first time here on the show. I am such a huge fan of yours. I actually realized today I haven't purchased any Run Like Heller merch. Oh, my gosh. I was, I was, I was looking to make sure I had your email to send you the, the link for this. I saw the merch tab. I'm like, what am I doing? How am I not getting this stuff yet? You know, I really need to get like some tech tees and some hats on there. I have like the cotton stuff, the long sleeve cotton shirt, cotton t-shirt, but Teespring, which is the um, the website that I use to make all of this, um, it doesn't really give you the option for, you know, running clothes. So I have to figure out a better way to kind of get some merch going up. But um, what I got now isn't too bad. Well, when are we going to see some shoes? Let's like run like Heller <laughs> shoes. Like we get the, the logo would be perfect on the side of, you know, can't you just, I know, uh, I think it's Believe in the Run partnered with Atreyu. Isn't, is there something like that in the works that we can make happen? You know, actually, Atreyu did ask me if I wanted to do that a long time ago, but I got so busy with work at that point. It was like right in the middle of the pandemic that I never got around to it. I know. So I feel so bad. Oh, people can't see this. My, I'm gesticulating wildly at the news. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been so awesome. I know. I know. I dropped the ball. I did. Yeah. And you've always been team Atreyu, but at the same time, like it hasn't affected your journalistic integrity in regards to the shoe reviews. Right. Yes. I, as, as a journalist in my in my real career, I guess you could say, um, I try to be very unbiased and middle of the road. Right. Because you can always say, like, we're, I'm, I'm giving you this feedback for your own good. Right. If I lie yeah. to you, then you're not going to improve. Right. It's like all those people who lied to Saucony about the Kinvara for three years. And all <laughs> of a sudden, Hoka gets, comes out with the Mach 4 and it's like, this should have been the Kinvara. How did Hoka make this shoe before Saucony? The Kinvara is a shoe that I have never really un understood the hype of. A long time ago, I think I tried the Kinvara 5, maybe I want to say, and I was like, ugh, I don't like this. My calves were hurting. And then I, I also have the new Kinvara or, you know, the one that just recently came out and it just doesn't, it doesn't do it for me. I'm not a Kinvara kind of gal. I was, at, I was team Kinvara for a while. I think it was three or four years ago. Because for me, it was just a really nice 
lightweight daily trainer. Fair. And I don't need a ton of cushioning. And that was fine. Again, so I wasn't doing like 10 mile easy runs, right? My easy runs were more in the hour time frame. And I was like, these are great because I don't like high stacks. So all of a sudden you get the, the lower stack. It was like six. And then you get, you know, it wasn't a low stack shoe, but it wasn't super heavy. It, it checked all the boxes for me. And then all of a sudden they went the power run foam and it like, so it wasn't springy anymore. It was kind of dense. And just, it all of a sudden, they went the other way. Yeah. They were using like power grid foam. I, I could be totally butchering the name of it, what it used to be called. Um, but the foam that they had in it previously was not bad. I liked it. Um, but it just wasn't, it's just not my type of shoe. Yeah. And I think that I like finding shoes that you could wear like in a fartlek, right? So shoes that you see, so you go out for your, your workout and it's like, all right, I'm going to do my easy miles in this shoe. And then I will do the up-tempo section and I will do the cool down in the shoe. And it's not going to affect anything. I don't feel like I have to change shoes. I can still get the pop and it's not going to feel weird doing the easy miles. And certain, I think finding shoes like that, I think is fun, which is part of the reason I love the Mach 4. I think the Mach 4 is perfect for that sort of thing. Just boom, just head out. I don't have to like drive to the track so I can bring multiple pairs of shoes and stuff. I can just go. And that's always fun. And then I feel like that was the part that the Convaro was nice for was that sort of thing. But now it's like, I don't want to use this for the easy run or the fast part. <laughs> yeah, it's like it doesn't fit anymore because now the Mach 4 just pushed it right out of the way. Right. And then also, if you're a fan of socking it, you're like, wait, why am I getting these instead of the Endorphin Speed 2? Oh, yeah. I mean, that I'll never understand. I mean, I, I don't know for sure about this, but I think maybe the um, the Convara is lighter. Than, I would think that the Convara is lighter than the Speed 2. So, Maybe that's a reason if you're like really big on the weight of your shoe. I know lots of people are sticklers about that, I guess. But the Speed 2 is just so much of a better shoe in like every sense of the imagination, in my opinion. Um, so I really can't rationalize why someone would pick a Convara over a Speed 2. Unless they're concerned about price. Because the Convara is a relatively reasonably priced shoe. That's the thing, though, because when you talk about price, I think we can also talk about value because when you have a shoe like that has the, the high amount of exposed foam on the outsole, you know, you also have to say, all right, what's the price per mile here? Right. Yeah. So like, you know, with the, that that's the thing where it can get tricky with certain shoes. We're like, hey, yeah, the price is great. And this is something that I think like Atreyu was able to navigate because it was so inexpensive that the price of per mile was still low. But then also I'm spending 120 bucks, but I'm only getting 250 miles like or less. Like this is something that I think has played the ring cons where it's like, OK, like, again, 115. That's awesome. That's incredible. But like, am I buying another shoe in five weeks? Like, what's going on here? Yeah. I mean, you might be if you're somebody who really beats your shoes to death. That might exact be exactly what you do. And to me, I think the ring con is kind of like Hoka's Kinvara. Um, and yeah, they're both kind of iffy on durability. So in my personal opinion, and I mean, like this doesn't go for everybody, obviously it depends what your financial situation is, is that I would prefer to spend more money on something like the speed and get what I think is more of a bang for my buck than with a shoe like the Kinvar or the Rincon. The Atreyu is slightly different because it's so inexpensive that I think it's in its own class kind of itself. Like, yeah, it's really not a very durable shoe at all, but um, 
you're getting a shoe that does function for a multitude of different things. Uh, and it's a lot easier to go and buy another pair of those, you know, uh, in five weeks because of how in- inexpensive they are. Yeah. And you talked about the weight. Some people get really finicky about the weight. And I have found myself in that mode as well. And it's funny because I feel like, and I don't know, this is kind of like a hypothesis I'm working on. So I guess I want to run it by you first. <laughs> okay. Let's hear it. So I feel like weight is not a, um, is a metric that can be fudged in a sense. Whereas if a shoe is completely bottom heavy, it feels different from a weight perspective than a shoe that say has like, like I'll, I'll compare like two shoes here, right? So if you have like a shoe, like an Atreyu shoe, say the Atreyu and the Mach 4 with the exact same weight. Okay. They're not, but let's just say for instance, that they were, or it's, it's a lot of the sketchers can fall in the same realm where like the upper, there's nothing to it. There's nothing in the upper, you know, 90%, 95% of the weight is in the midsole or outsole. Whereas like say the Mach 4, which the upper is really nice. That's part of the reason people like it. It's so comfortable. It's not plush, but it has this really wonderful feeling. I feel like when the weight it has is evenly distributed in a sense, the shoe feels later because it's not as bottom heavy. Again, I don't know if this is true, but it feels that way to me. I think that that's absolutely true. And I would I would even say that some shoes that are on the lighter side of things or just like an average weight fe- sometimes feel heavier because they are bottom heavy. Um, so I definitely think that you're onto something there. And this is a, a very great scientific experiment that you should talk about on your YouTube channel that you just started up. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can come up with the shoes, like the shoes that feel lighter than their stats and the shoes that are feel heavier than their stats. Like I think a good example of this um, would be like the, the, is the Puma Velocity. I've never tried a Puma shoe. Yeah, it's, it's a lot like the Mach 4 in that the upper, like you wouldn't call it plush, but it's very, very nice. It's, su- it's super soft, it's accommodating. And I, the, the weight is like 9.2 for a men's size 9, which isn't bad, but you would never call it a lightweight shoe. But it feels like an 8.5 because because of the upper, it just sits differently. Whereas, you know, say you take out, um, I'm just, I got a tray you on the brain, I guess. Like take out the Atreyu Artist, which is super light, but you know it's it's a high stack shoe. It's all weight. It's all bottom weight. They feel the same weight to me on the run. Interesting. But I don't know if it's like a, le- a lever effect at the bottom or what it is. But it, it's, it's again it's something I'm working on. I just wanted to test drive it with you as someone who's tried a lot of shoes. I think you're onto something there. I mean, kind of off topic ish, but I've never gotten to try a Puma shoe. I mean. Um, I've never, I never purchased one. And then kind of like when I was in my training cycle, I never got it to fit into the rotation. So they're definitely on my radar. Um, and now that Molly Seidel was, you know, in the Olympics within did so well, I kind of, I'm kind of even more interested. Yeah. I like, I've always been a big Puma fan. I remember like Puma basketball shoes in high school, just because they were Puma. Like I just <laughs> wanted to wear them again. They weren't even, they were not great. They were they were a bad purchase, but I just wanted <laughs> to wear them from a stylistic perspective. Um, but so I was pumped for the, the Puma stuff. And I, I'm going to review the Puma, Puma Deviate Nitro, uh, not the Elite. And it's like, has really nice elements, but it's a miss, right? Like it's, really? it's I like, there's, I like a lot of it, mm-hmm. but there's enough that doesn't work that I wouldn't recommend people buying it. Um, That's 
interesting. That's the one I wanted to try. And, and I think there are probably people it works for, but the upper is just too sloppy. Okay. Where for a shoe that has a plate in it, mm. because I feel like the forces that are at work when you have a plate, especially on the heel counter, it 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 creates this dynamic where it doesn't work great. And then I I, I had a blister yesterday running in it, and I put almost 100 miles in the shoe. It was the first time I got a blister, but it was because you have to, at least I have to, like hit the lacing just right. Like this is like, this, this is like Cinderella glass slipper. Like it has to be a perfect fit for me to work it. And it's like, I don't want to play that game all the time. You know, and so, so I feel like I can't wait for version two because I do like the midsole, the outsole, the, the fabric of the upper. I love all of those things, but it just just misses from a, a fit perspective. I have noticed that about a lot of shoes lately, kind of that if I don't, especially during my training cycle and running a, like many miles at a time, if I don't hit that fit and that lacing and, you know, cinching those laces down exactly how they need to be, then I'm going to get a blister somewhere, whether it's the ball of my foot, my toe, whatever it is. I experienced that with a couple of different shoes during this training cycle for sure. All right. Obviously, we're kind of doing like a free range conversation here, which I am excited about because you're awesome. But I will say before we talk, talk about your Chicago Marathon experience, you're rocking this shirt right now, which is exciting. Yeah, um, yeah. There it is. Awesome. Is that the the deviate? I'm such a big I'm such a fan of in so many ways that like I know I'm going to like the um, the elite. So the deviate nitro elite. So the you know, the the Molly Seidel shoe that everyone knows. Like I. I desperately want to order that shoe. It's sold out everywhere. You just can't get it. But like, I definitely know that the elements of the shoe that I don't like in the Deviate Nitro are fixed in the other one. So I'm like, I that shoe is like is for me. I know it is. I just got to get it. Yeah, is it really sold out everywhere? I haven't really like seen. I, I thought about ordering it, but the naming of the Puma shoes confuses me so much that I don't really know like <laughs> which one is the one that she even wears. So it is the Elite that she wears. Yeah. So I think you just they should just take Nitro out of all of it because all of them have the word Nitro in it. So there's no point of having it in it at all. Or leave it in the Super Shoe so that everybody everybody knows like oh that's the one. Well, it's just the name of the foam that's used in the midsole. Oh, right. So it's like, okay. like you don't have like like Brooks Hyperion Tempo. They don't say like Brooks Hyperion Tempo Flash. It's like no, yes, it has it has that midsole, but like we don't need that in the naming convention. Yeah, so I agree. Just like Puma Velocity, Puma Deviate, Puma Deviate Elite. Love it. Would have worked better, right? So well, they should hire you for for their on, marketing. Come on, Puma. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think it'd be in in. I think it would definitely be a great shoe for people who aren't as fast as Molly. People who go into the marathon thinking like, all right, I just want a shoe that's going to be comfy. That's not going to make my feet and body hurt the whole time or like in the last 10K. And I think that's probably part of the reason we'll talk about this. uh, But people have gravitated to uh, the New Balance RC Elite 2 with kind of like that thing in mind. But I think that Puma probably falls in the same category. Someone who hasn't tried it, but has someone who's had a similar experience with a midsole that's that's along the same lines. Like I think the squish in the nitro works out great, especially even with that stack height with a with the I think they have like the basically the plastic plate in the DVA. Right. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's it's enough to still make it pretty rigid if you're gonna do like the the spring test. 
you're selling me on these shoes. Now I feel like I got to go out and find a pair to buy. Good luck. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> I reached out to Puma like on Instagram saying like, hey, I have a YouTube channel. You know, do you have any shoes? Maybe you could send me. Like I was like, I'm happy to buy them. But I like, you know, it seems like maybe they're sold out at the moment. They never answered. So. Ah, bummer. Very sad, yeah. Yeah. They, um, I think, it's, is it Hannah McGoldrick? I think. Mm. She used to work at Runner's World for a long time. And I see she's over there now doing a lot of stuff, which is exciting. She was part of like that big buildup that they did like a year ago. Yeah. When they knew all these shoes were coming online. I will say the Velocity is great. Mm-hmm. It's an awesome, awesome, awesome daily trainer that you can run fast in. Um, tons of squish because of the nitro foam. But if someone's okay with, with squish, I think it's an awesome shoe. I love a squishy shoe. There you go. No, I'm, I'm a big fan. Okay, let's talk about... Your experience, right? You have done on your YouTube channel, which is one of my favorites. It's a go-to for me. I get so excited every time you are uploading stuff. You chronicled not only all the shoes that you are always wearing and trying out, and you're one of the best at doing doing YouTube shoe reviews, but you've also been chronicling your own journey to the Chicago Marathon, which you you just completed. I'm not going to ask you to basically retell (laughs) the 13 episodes that you've done, done on this, but what was it like? Going through like this, this weekly, bi-weekly, how things are going type, you know, it's almost like you're like the real world, real world running. I think it was beneficial for me, honestly, to kind of um, look back at the week prior, prior and see how I did and what worked for me and what didn't work for me and how I was feeling week by week. It was good for me in that sense. Um, you know, there's a lot of other elements to that also. It's really like putting your your goals and your hopes and, <laughs> and dreams, I guess you could say, uh, out on the line for people to, you know, to watch and to, to judge and to um, make their own opinions about. Um, so it was a very different experience from just like uploading the, the weekly shoe review that I always do or, you know, um, the fun workout video, you know, if I do like a tempo workout or a race, another kind of race video. Um, and I was impressed with myself that I did not miss any weeks because <laughs> it does get kind of difficult to uh, week by week make sure that you get something out, especially, you know, with my job because it's so every day is something different. If something crazy breaks in the news, it really like hinders my ability to get my YouTube stuff done. Um, but I think overall it was a good experience. And I think it's something that I will definitely look to do again in the future. Yeah. And I think part of it too, is that you, you've had this kind of ups and downs and things going on, which um, is not, I say desirable from a training perspective, yeah. but it does make the weekly stuff a little bit easier to put out because it's not like, all right, another week of training, hit all my miles. See you next week. Yeah. And I think people can relate to those struggles because um, unless you're, and even if you are an elite runner, I don't want to say like elite runners never have a bad day because even, even them, um, you know, we all have bad days and I feel like it's so relatable to see somebody who's kind of like, going through the motions of training and maybe something doesn't work and they fail at something. And, you know, I think also even now with the race over, you know, I I didn't hit my goal. And I think whilst maybe some people would say like, oh, forget it. I'm not going to talk about this. Like I'm embarrassed or whatever the case is. I don't want to do that. I want to talk about it because that's a real thing that humans go through all the time. (laughs) Right. All right. So people haven't been watching. What was the goal kind of 
going in and how the the goal, if, if it evolved, how it evolved and how, how did race day go? Yeah. So my goal for the Chicago Marathon, my A goal was to break four. And um, my B goal was to just PR on my current marathon time, which was like 419 something. Um, and it went completely different <laughs> than that. Um, I ended up with my slowest marathon time of 4.45.38. And that's no disrespect to anybody who runs that time. Um, but obviously it's not what I wanted for the day, but there were a lot of different factors leading up to race day and on race day itself that made it a very, very difficult day for me. And I think for a lot of other people, from what I've seen at least as well. Yeah, the 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 weather conditions were challenging. And I think if people don't know by now, it was, you know, low to mid 70s, which is just tough. It's, I mean, when the, when the Chicago Marathon hit 80 degrees a couple of years ago, they called it like mid-race. Yeah, it was... You know, I think the saving grace, I mean, it still was a very rough go, but um, the sun, at least when I was out there, never really came out. It did for like a minute at like the six mile mark for me. And I was like, oh, no, go back, go back into the clouds. <laughs> um, and it did. But it's interesting how sneaky humid humidity can really be. Um, because you're like, oh, it's cloudy. Like there is some wind here because, you know, we're in the windy city, of course. Um but that humidity really creeps up on you. And I thought I was going to be fine with it because, you know, here I am. I've trained all summer in the humidity and the heat. But, you know, that mixed with my me already being completely like a nervous wreck and stressed out from like the travel issues that I had getting to Chicago and all that stuff um, was just not a great recipe for me in the end. All right. Before we talk about the race... Let's talk about the travel. I was following along on Instagram, like with bated breath. Oh my God. So we had originally, I will I'll try not to ramble on about this too much, but originally we had um, an 11 a.m. something flight. And, uh, and this is on Friday. This is on Friday. Yep. So we have everything is scheduled, you know, to go the way it's supposed to go. I have an 11 a.m. flight. I am trying to get to uh, Chicago by four o'clock at least. I mean, I would have had plenty of time um, because I want to do the live stream with Kofuzi. I was supposed to do it on Friday. So we get there, we check our bags and they tell us that the flight is delayed an hour. So already I'm like, well, that's not great because now I'm going to be really down to the wire here with time because I got to get to Kofuzi to Mike at four o'clock. So um, we get to the gate, the flight we see is delayed another hour. So I'm like, oh, no, this is not good. <laughs> so I'm already texting um, Mike and I'm like, listen, I don't know if I'm going to get there in time. I just want to let you know what happens. The flight gets delayed till 6 p.m. Oh, God. With, yeah, with no indication that it would actually take off at 6 p.m. Because this was due to like some kind of crew issue because I, what I believe it was like a lot of pilots flight attendants, all that kind of stuff, all those people were laid off during the pandemic. So they're really on a very short staff right now. Um, so it was really all dependent on this inbound flight. I don't know, but there were it was not looking good. So I texted Mike and I was like, this is not going to happen tonight. I don't know. It's just not, I don't think it's going to work out. So the guy at Delta, Delta Airlines, for anybody who's curious, <laughs> was like, um, 
Well, there's a flight to Milwaukee that you can take around 145 Eastern, and it's about a two-hour drive from Milwaukee to um, Chicago. So me and my fiance look at each other and we're like, well, either we sit here till 6 p.m. with the hopes that we're going to get you know, on this 6 p.m. flight, or we're going to fly to Milwaukee and drive there. So we end up flying to Milwaukee, and we get to Milwaukee around maybe like I don't know, four Eastern, and we wait in an hour and a half line at a rental car um, area. Yeah, it was just a total nightmare. So we're waiting, waiting, waiting. And all this time, keep in mind, I have a heavy backpack with my laptop on my back, and I'm just standing around, you know, my legs are not getting any rest. And I'm like not drinking enough water because I'm just going like point A to point B. And you're obviously like nervous as all heck. Like, it's not like you're just like, all right, well, we're not taking off. So I'm just going to chill. The whole thing is going to be a relaxing Zen experience. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I'm not a really great flyer to begin with. I mean, I could think of about a million things I'd rather do than fly on an airplane. Obviously, I do it, but it's not my first choice of things to do. Um, so I, I'm already kind of not really loving that whole thing. Finally, Thankfully, when we're in Milwaukee, we get the rental car six million hours later, get in the car and we start driving. And at that point, we basically, Mike and I decide we're going to do the live stream the next day. So that's kind of a stressor that was, was you know, kind of looming around because I really wanted to do that. Um, but luckily, once that got, you know, resolved, I kind of felt a little bit better. But, you know, it just wasn't a great situation. And we didn't end up getting to Chicago until almost eight o'clock at night. So it was just rough. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, that is that's a lot. It's a lot to handle. And then, you know, it's like obviously it's a stressful day that you're going to want to recover from. Yeah. But the night before a big race, as, as always, like that that's tough. And then and just and it's just scientifically known that like sleeping in a hotel room or just away from home, but hotel room specifically, because it's not like you're sleeping at your brother's house or something there's a certain safety element there but sleeping in a hotel room like the first night it's like your half your brain's always on so you don't you don't get a great night's sleep then either no and the next at least the very least i guess is that i did have a day in between this travel drama and the race like i did have saturday but saturday was also a very busy day because we did the expo then i did the live stream with mike and then i had lunch and, you know, it was, then I had to find something for breakfast the next day because I wasn't going to go searching for that at 5 a.m. in Chicago. And it was just a lot. I didn't set myself up really for success mentally. Um, and that's a big takeaway that I kind of learned from this whole marathon experience for sure. All right. And then even leading into the race, I know that you had some injury concerns kind of in, in training. So what happened there and how did it get resolved in terms of getting to the point where you're able to handle some of the peak mileage weeks, you know, six weeks out, stuff like that? Yeah. You know, um, during the winter or like late winter into spring, kind of, I had some really bad like plantar fasciitis issues um, to the point where I could barely like put weight on my left foot. It was pretty bad. And I think a lot of that has to do with, I was doing a lot of mileage at the time and just trying a lot of different shoes, but that's kind of like what I have to do. <laughs> so uh, I took a lot of time off for, from running probably like three or f I don't want to say four weeks, probably like three-ish weeks. 
And luckily, that really did the trick. I mean, I did feel some issues early on in the training cycle. But after I switched the shoes a little bit, I tried some stability um, stability shoes. And then I tried a couple of neutral shoes with a sort of a wider base. Um, that really did seem to help. And knock on wood, I don't really have any issues with it right now. And I didn't while I was doing the heavier mileage. And I also didn't during the race, which is great. Oh man. And that must've been such a big concern because you're putting yourself like into from a, from a, you know, foot and lower body stress, you know, stress perspective, like who knows what's going to pop up is, is old injuries going to happen. Like we hear about this so often, stuff like that occurring. And, you know, we were able to kind of relive, not relive, but I guess, you know, walk with you as you were thinking about these things on your YouTube channel, not only in terms of the weekly updates, but just within your your own shoe choice. Because here you are, you have access to a lot of the shoes that people spend a lot of money on for marathon race day and half marathon race day. They're all kind of at your feet, literally and figuratively to use. So how did all of these things play into your mind for the shoe selection? Again, I did watch the videos and I know what shoe you ended up choosing, but it wasn't as simple as like, Hey, I got the alpha fly. These are really cool. I spent a lot of money. Let's wear them. Like obviously the, the calculus is a little different for you. Yeah, one thing I will say about the Alpha Fly, not to derail the conversation, but I shoe tangents are always welcome. (laughs) I just I'm glad I just do not like that shoe. And maybe I'll try it again one day and I'll change my mind. But that is an uncomfortable shoe, in my personal opinion. I don't know. It just does not work for me. And I bought a pair for this training cycle in hopes like I don't know, maybe it'll be like great. A lot of people seem to love it. And I will another thing I'll say about the Alpha Fly is I saw a lot of people on that Chicago Marathon course walking alongside me, you know, in those later miles, looking rough with Alpha Flies on. <laughs> so just something to think about. You know, it was a rough day for everybody, regardless of shoe choice, but I did find that quite interesting. Um, but yeah, I have a lot of super shoes. Obviously, those are the shoes that everybody wants to know about. And a lot of comments and quest- like questions that I got on these videos was like, well, you have, you know, you have the uh, Alpha Fly, you have the Adi Zero Adios Pro, you have this, you have that. Why wouldn't you just wear those shoes? Um, but at the end of the day, you know, I am not going to wear a shoe that I'm not confident is going to be able to carry me to the finish line. Um in one piece. And I wasn't going to risk having a PF issue, which is super touchy. You know, it really depends on the shoe and how my ankle is kind of like rolling inward a little bit. Um, so I was really trying to make sure that I was making a wise choice rather than just a fun choice or the choice everybody wanted me to make, I guess. Right. And it's also different when you're out there for longer, right? I think the, oh, sure. it's like, you know, and this is kind of the hard part for marathoners at like at our level when we're talking about, you know, we're out there for four hours and we're going plus four hours into that zone. Then it's a situation of like, I'm just going to be on my feet for a long time here. Like, like these other shoes might be super fast and I might love them in workouts and even half marathons and stuff like that. But, you know, a marathon shoe for, for the vast majority of amateur runners has to be more than just about speed. Of course, it needs to be about comfort too, for sure. And I think, I think a lot of times, you know, 
I think anybody of any pace level or experience level can wear whatever shoe they want. I love that because you made that point crystal clear. Like last year, we had this exact same conversation. You're like, if you know, there, there's no such thing as too slow for these shoes. No, there, there's no such thing as too slow. And I think that that whole narrative is really like um, poisonous to the running community. But and, but something that I will say on the other side of that is just because something is labeled a fast marathon shoe does not make it a right shoe for you comfort-wise or stride-wise or something like that. So there are a lot of people, I would wager, at marathons like the Chicago Marathon or at any marathon who are wearing shoes like the Alpha Fly or the Next Percent who shouldn't be wearing them, not because of their speed level or their experience, but because it's just not right for their foot. And it's just going to totally tear your legs up you know, at the end of a marathon, you know, 26.2 miles with a carbon plate under your foot is, is a lot of miles. <laughs> and I don't think it's necessarily right for everybody. Yeah. I'm going through this right now. So I'm preparing for CIM and I'm really getting close to the point where I'm thinking like, I don't think I want to wear a plated shoe for this race because I just know how it feels on my ankle. Mm-hmm. running in a plate, running in a shoe. I can see the, the plate part is almost a peripheral conversation. It's more of like running in a shoe that has no flexibility. Yes. And the kind of torque that puts on my ankle, especially on the back medial side of it, uh, especially on the, my left side where I've had some ankle injuries and just issues in general, it just puts a lot of stress on that. I'm like, do I want that kind of stress for hour after hour after hour? And more, the more I think about it, the more I'm like, I just don't think that's a, a smart move. Yeah, it ended up for me, I had the exact sort of same conversation with myself that you're currently having. It ended up for me, I was really playing with the idea of not wearing a plated shoe. I wanted to wear a plated shoe because half of me just wanted to because I think that they're fun. But the other half of me, you know, as a person who's like in this um, creator space, I guess, of running shoe reviewers. I felt like, oh, well, I kind of like, ha- I kind of have to wear one, but that's a silly way to think. But And you uh, like a lot bad. of them. Like I've seen your reviews. There's some of these that you really enjoy. I love the next percent. My It, bra- it makes my ankle look like it is breaking in half, <laughs> but I really enjoy running in it. And I loved the, uh, Adi- uh, oh my God, I always butcher the name of this, the Adios Pro or the Adi Zero Pro, whatever the heck the Adidas shoes name is. I Love that shoe, but after 18 miles, my foot was, I mean, screaming. It was ridiculous. Um, so I ta- toyed with the idea of not wearing one, but then the Bondi X came around and I was kind of like, all right, well, this is kind of the best of both worlds for me. And it works a little bit better for my foot stride than the endorphin speed does. So maybe this is the answer. And skip to the last page. I know you did a little, little little YouTube on this. Which one am I going to choose? Even I'm watching it, I'm like, I don't know, man. She like, she, either she's really good at acting and she does, and, and she knows but isn't giving up the goods or she really hasn't made her decision yet. I really didn't know, uh, <laughs> truly. So, so ultimately, you went with the Hoka Bondi X. What was the key decision-making point or matrix that tipped it in that, that favor? Yeah, so um, for those who don't know, I was between the Speed 2 from Saucony and the Bondi X both fantastic shoes. Uh, but what it came down to really for me was that the speed is a little bit more, it's not a narrow shoe, but it's a little bit more narrow, which 
in a neutral shoe will cause me to kind of overpronate pretty severely. The Bondi X is a much wider base, covers a lot more surface area, which inherently makes it more stable. Um, still a neutral shoe, but it's kind of the best in bo- of both worlds in that sense. A person who does overpronate can wear that shoe, I think, and be comfortable. So that was part of it. It's a little bit more cushioned for those later miles where you're totally just trying to get to the finish in one piece. And it has the plate, which I do feel it's a it's a more subtle feeling. It's not quite a super shoe type of feel, um, but it was enough to kind of get me on my toes and roll me into my next stride. And that's all I was really looking for. Nice. Yeah, I had the Endorphin Speed 1 and I loved it until I didn't because really? I am not a... Um, I'm a slight overpronator to the point where, like, I didn't know I was an overpronator. That's how slight it was until that shoe. Yeah. Because it, it, people who've listened to this show for a while know that I had an issue where it was really making my foot dive in to the medial side. And I developed, like, an, an actually an ankle sprain. Yeah, that's bad. Really on bad. The, like, I couldn't walk for two days. You know, oh. it, it, after a week, it was fine. But it was, like, right around this time last year, I ran a 10K in it. And, like, a week after, I'm like, oh, my God. Like, And then I – it was funny because I had an ultra, ultra marathoner on, on, and they wore the shoe for a 50-mile race. Really? It had the same issue afterwards. Like, they oh ran fantastically well. They won. And, hey, all good news. But then the week after, they're like, I can't even walk. And it's because of, and I was like, oh, what shoe did you pick? They're like, oh, they told me like, oh my God, all right, it's the same issue I had. It was the same injury. Mm-hmm. That would happen to, I, I guarantee that would happen to me if I wore that shoe or like my, you know, while I was doing my longer runs in the Speed 2, I felt like a fleeting, like, I don't know how to, exp- I don't want to say a stabbing pain, but I guess we'll say it just because I don't know how else to describe it. It was like a stabbing pain in the back of my heel area that would kind of, it was like fleeting. It would like stab me and then it would like go away for a couple of miles and like stab me. And I was like, well, not sure I want to be stabbed for 26.2 miles here. So I think I'm going to not wear this shoe. There you go. Well, let's talk about the race. So obviously you go out there and you don't have the race that you had kind of hoped for. From a training perspective, when you were at the starting line, did you feel like you had trained in a way that set you up for the kind of success that you were hoping for? Absolutely. I think that my training had literally nothing to do with my... Well, to back up, I started feeling crappy at mile seven, right? So um, none of my training was indicative of the, of me starting to feel crappy and blowing up at mile seven. You know, I've done a million runs over seven miles, feeling completely fine. And yeah, just, it, I don't think it had anything to do with the way I trained. And I like, and I quite liked my training cycle and felt really prepared going into it. Um, even when I was at that starting line, waiting for the race to kick off. Yeah. So when you're at that point, and I've seen and I've been doing tons of like reading race recaps over the past couple of days. And and it's always interesting read and you never know how it's going to go and, and things like that. Even when you see people's times, you don't know how how you know what the struggles they went through or the bad patches and stuff like that. But you're in a position where you get you your training went well, you're an experienced runner. You hit a bad patch so early in a race. What is that like? Obviously, physically, you know, we, we know what a bad patch feels like, but what does it feel like mentally and emotionally if you're like, you know, we're at mile seven here? Like, this is, I haven't had my first gel yet. What, what's going on? Yeah. Um, 
It's rough. I definitely went through a couple stages of um, emotion. So I think at first I was kind of like panicked in a sense. And I was like, oh no, this is not good. And maybe it'll pass. Maybe, you know, I'll start to feel better because that does happen sometimes. Um, but it really wasn't passing. And I went through kind of, a, like I said, a couple different stages where at first I was panicking and then I was um not going to lie, I felt like embarrassed, right? Because I had like put myself out there and here I am and I'm like probably not going to make my goal. So I'm like ashamed and embarrassed and I'm like, oh, like, you know, I can't believe this. This is like mortifying. Like I'm going to be at this point, I didn't know how far off I was going to be like on my goal. Um, But yeah, those were definitely some emotions. And then I kind of cycled through all these different sort of emotions out there where after that, I decided, okay, well, um, I'm just going to try to make the best out of it. And maybe I'll try to, you know, PR from my last marathon. And then you kind of see all of the pace groups slowly pay, pay, uh, passing you. And I'm like, well, that's not going to happen. So then it becomes this kind of survival of the of the fittest, right? Like there are plenty of times during that race where I wanted to just walk off. And I was like, this is just, what am I going to do here? Walk and run through the last 10, like for the last 15 miles of this race? I mean, I'm not, like, I'm never going to get there. Um, but yeah, that's exactly what I did. And it was, it was a rough emotional time out there for sure. But once I got rid of like the caring what everybody else thinks, I felt a little bit better, I guess you could say. Yeah, that's tough. And I've, and I've been there in terms of like getting your, 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 your goals out there in public and talking about them. And, and, you know, it, it's so, um, ultimately people really don't care. Right. Exactly. But like you care, there is this attachment to it. And like, what am I going to have to say? What am I like, what is this going to be like when I talk about this later? Um, it isn't too dissimilar to people who do charity running, right? So they you know raise all this money to do this race. People are literally invested in their success. And it's like, oh, again, things aren't going well. What are all these people going to think? They care. They, they, they've been asking me about my running. They literally put money into this and yada, yada, yada. It's it, it 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 can be such a challenging thing. Mm-hmm. With that said, once you go through the experience, you know I'm sure you've had other runs where you've struggled mightily in the past. Hey, hey, your own dog is making an appearance, Ruby. <laughs> um, yeah, now she wants to do us in here. <laughs> um, that it that that part doesn't go away, right? The feeling of like, well, I was able to fight through this, or I know, you know, I know, I know what struggling in a race means. Um, and sometimes it, it's nice to kind of put in perspective, not only if you get to that point again, but if you get to somewhere like it's less dramatic and you'd be like, hold on, I got through this other thing. I can definitely get through this sucker. Yeah. This was the longest race that I've ever, I've really had to like suffer through. Um, and I think what really helped me decide, I mean, I was never going to like DNF. I'm really not. I mean, I, I would have to probably have like a real medical issue to just walk off a course, especially in Chicago, especially with like all of the stuff that I've like, you know, practiced and preached about, you know, like fighting the good fight and getting through it no matter what the outcome is. It's just not my thing to just forget it. And to me, that would be like a sulking kind of, you know, 
situation. Um, I have, I'm trying to think of how I can describe. So I, my friend Kate, who also is a, a running coach and also coached me through my, um, my training experience, she has uh, an injury that prevented her from being able to run her marathon, which ended up getting canceled anyway. Um, but still, she still has an injury that she hasn't been able to really run. Um, and I was just thinking about her and like all those people who wish so badly that they could be out there. And for, for me or for somebody else to just quit because they're not having a good day is a cop out. So I kept remembering that and I kept trying to tell myself, well, that's a lesson that a lot of people can learn. So sure, maybe you're going to get back on YouTube and you're not going to have like the results that everybody's expecting or hoping that you're going to have, but you're going to have a, a more valuable lesson to kind of share with people. Right. And I think that a lot of times people can default to if the race doesn't go well, then this whole thing was for naught. And I, and, and I always try to tell people like, there's people that I'm coaching or just friends of mine or, or even acquaintances that like the race doesn't invalidate anything that came before it. Right. Nothing. Right. If you had all this training, like not only was that good in its own right, even if you never did a race, but who's to say it doesn't help you at a future race? Like it's just it's just one day that didn't go well. Yeah. And sometimes the lessons that you learn from failure are far more valuable than the lessons you learn from a PR. Yeah, that's so true. It really is hard to learn lessons when you're winning. Yeah. For sure. Of course. Right. Yeah. Sometimes you learn the, lo the wrong lessons when you're winning. You're like, hey, yeah. it's because of X, Y, Z. Like, no, it really wasn't. Right. I think I learned a lot about myself on the course on Sunday and I learned a lot of lessons about how especially I, I need to better manage stress and things that I, you know, that are out of my control and how I react to that. Because I think by the time, I don't know if I might have said this earlier, but I think by the time I got out on the course on Sunday, I was just so mentally fried from everything that had previously happened because I let all these things and these factors that I can't control sort of um, torment me for Friday and then for Saturday when I was nervous about the race, that by the time I get out there, I really it takes a, it takes a physical toll on your body. And I just didn't have, didn't have it. Yeah, it is so true. That's for sure. All right. So moving forward, mm -hmm. what shoes, once you get back into running, right, you have like your recovery period, of course, like all marathoners do. Once you get back into running, are there certain shoes that you're excited to put on your feet and start, start trying out? Yeah, um, I have a couple. The Atreyu Base Model 2 I have waiting for me to try out. I'm excited about that. Um, I'm trying to think. There are a couple others that did show up. Oh, the Endorphin Pro Plus. I have that. Um, I'm excited to try that just for fun. I don't have anything really that I could – I don't have a race coming up or anything, but just something to, to put it on my feet and go and see how it is. And then I also have like the Skechers Speed Freak. That I never tried. Yeah, there's a lot of Skechers shoes that I want to try. They're just is sitting in my cart on Running Warehouse. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I want to try the Razor XS. I really want to try the Max Road 5 and the Go Ride 9, which people like, it seems the Go Ride 9 is legit. Like, I really want to try that one as well. So, yeah, the Go Ride 9, I'm trying to think if I tried that. 
I know the eight was around forever and it really had some people were big fans and some people were not like Jamie was like the biggest fan in the world. And I know other people who were like, I really hated that shoe. And I have other people who like Jessica Dorsey's been on this podcast twice. I think she's been running in them for seven years. I swear to God, oh she has, has wow. always, always had them on her feet um, for, for many, many years. And, uh, you know, she's like a sub three hour marathon and those like her favorite shoes. So like, I don't even know what to make of that series. Yeah, I I don't know. I I don't think I tried the Go Run Ride Nine. I might have. I think I have it. You know, the problem a lot of times is that I get you know a lot so many shoes, um, and I it's hard to prioritize like what to do first. And with so much of this training cycle, I was really trying. I mean, I ended up running in a ton of shoes, although I wanted to avoid that. Um, I was trying to prioritize things that I knew like wouldn't totally like tear my feet apart. <laughs> so I would have a chance to actually make it to the starting line. <laughs> um, but yeah, like the max road five, I've really wanted to try. I have it. Um, you know, there, I feel bad because for some reason it feels like the sketcher shoes fall to my, the wayside, but I really do love what they come out with. And I think that they're a really great brand. Yeah, I've liked, I've liked the shoes that, that I've, that I've worn from sketchers for sure. Uh, I was a big razor plus fan. Yeah. Or Razor 3 Plus. I know the, the naming one with that. Like <laughs> I've half the people call it one thing, half the people call it the other thing, but everyone likes it. So I guess that's that's the most important thing. So uh, <laughs> I I am really excited for that. Well, Emily, thank you so much for coming on. I do need to get a running run like Heller. I like the sweatshirt. I love the logos. I gotta get some merch. Thank you. Can we call a tray you back? They haven't come out with the new colorways for the V2. They only have like four colorways and three of them are black. So but there has to be something here we can do. I know, I know. They have a lot of black colorways. I'm sure Kofuzi will love. <laughs> but actually, you know, he, I think he has the red and black ones, which are very cool. My Treyu um, base model too. It looks exactly like the first. Okay, uh, oh, the standard. Color, yeah. yeah, the blue with yeah, the but, yellow. You know, I'll I'll see if I can call up uh, a Treyu's you know hotline and say, Michael, you know what? Michael, come yeah. on, Michael. Hey, Michael. <laughs> and see if he's still willing to do a collab because that would be really cool. Absolutely. Yeah, that is awesome. Well. Everybody, go check out Run Like Hella, the YouTube channel. It's unbelievable. It's one of my favorites out there, and it has been for a very long time. Emily, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me on. Emily, thank you so much for coming on the show. I wasn't kidding, man. It's always a blast to talk to Emily, and now you know why. Go check out the first episode with her basically last year around this time. Uh, maybe it was closer to December, but anyway... It's totally worth it. It was definitely one of those evergreen episodes, and it's just as good now as it was then. And anything with Emily is just simply fantastic. So thank you so much for listening, and happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of InPost Media. Thank you to Meta P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest estates these days. This representation of storm brewing, amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry I got.